Welcome to the Daily Bible Podcast, a show intended to help you get more out of your everyday time in the Word. This is a ministry of Compass Bible Church in North Texas, and if you'd like to join along with our daily Bible reading program, you can do so by going to compassntx.org and clicking on the Daily Bible Reading tab. Thanks for joining in for today's episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. Hey, welcome to another episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. Hola, chola. Hola, chola. What is chola? Uh, <laughs> uh, you don't know that. Do you know what a cholo is? I, I assume the chola is the female version of a cholo. That's right. That, okay. That's how the, the so did you just Spanish agree? words work. Our audience, just in general, as a female cholo. I guess so. Yeah. Okay. Well, no, because it was hola. It just worked. It rhymed. I felt. I just went with it. That's the nature of improv. You just kind of say things and see what works. <laughs> And you don't have somebody call you out on it. No, no. No. In fact, in fact, one of the cardinal rules of improvisational comedy is not that you never negate what the other partner throws at you. It's always a yes and, and not a yes, but. Well, yes, but. No, (laughs) you're breaking one of the cardinal rules. I just told you, Pastor PJ. You're right. You're right. I have training in this. I fail. Follow my leadership in this area. Hey, it's, uh, it's Friday. Happy Friday. Is it Friday the 13th? It is. Is it? No, it's not Friday. No, it's not the 13th. Dude, what are you doing? Come on. (laughs) It's Friday the 18th. Having a hard time keeping track of the days. It is the 18th. I know, right? Um, Hey, I mentioned a couple episodes ago that nobody has been emailing us at podcast. That's right. CompassNTX.org. Still no emails, huh? No, we've gotten a couple. Oh. From one and the same listener. Uh, Let me, uh, is it, is the, is it our Twitter fan? It is not our Twitter fan. Her name doesn't start with Melissa. Nope. <laughs> nope. Not her. <laughs> okay. Any other guesses? Uh, a man. Oh, it's your mom. Dorothy. It Dorothy, not, thanks for emailing us. It is not my mom. It's not your mom? Because I know she listens to all of our episodes. She does. She's a, she's probably our number one fan. But yeah, but she did not listen. She did not email. I could think of her right now just saying, oh, my sweetie, he's doing such a good That's job. That's not a thing. <laughs> uh, oh, oh, Pastor Mike Fabares. No, not Pastor Mike either. Uh, oh, Albert Moeller. Nope. Uh, am I getting cl- warmer or colder? <laughs> That's hard to tell to go from Pastor Mike to Dr. Moeller. Okay, I got it. Joseph Biden. No. 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 Ramin. Oh, Ramin. Ramin. <laughs> Send us a couple. I should have guessed. There you go. I was way off. One of them, though, he commented on the fact that you in particular were bashing cats in one of our <laughs> Ramin. episodes. We talked about this. At, we, talk, we were at Founders talking about yep. this, and he got, he, got, he got on me for this. He says, one thing you guys are really wrong about. And I think I, I thought I set him straight and the, and the spirit and kindness of the Lord. And clearly he's, he refuses to be re, like to be rebuked. He refuses because he <laughs> said, I know what I'm getting Pastor Rod for Christmas. <laughs> what did, this is scary. What did he say? Well, the implication was he's going to get me a cat. He's going to get you a cat. Oh, you know what he's going to get? He's going to get our neighborhood a wild cat because there's no way it's staying in my house. It's going to be released to the wild immediately. Which means he's going to feed the local coyotes. Or the hawks. I've seen those around. Or the I've bobcats. also seen... The, I mean, oh, I might have seen a bobcat. It was so early in the morning, I wasn't sure, but it looked like a bobcat. You should post about it on Ring. I might. Because that's what everybody does. Everybody does that. Bobcat well, I need get a picture. I need to get a picture, though. You could take a picture of you know somebody that went to Salina High School and be like, Bobcat sighting. Ah, I get it. Yep, because they're that. the mascot. They're the, they're yeah. the Bobcats. Yep. Is there any school around here that are the turkey vultures? No. Let's start one. No. No? No. Compass Bible Church School mascot turkey vultures. No. The Compass Turkey Vultures. That has kind of a ring to it. No. No, but speaking of Compass and school, I was thinking about how we can work this in, but uh, CBI, which is Compass Bible Institute, Mm. um, is available to our church plant people, even if you're not 
in Elisa Viejo, which if you're a church plant person like us, then you're not in Elisa Viejo. Uh, but you can jump online. You can take some classes and we've got classes that are starting this fall. Some of you have already taken CBI classes before. Uh, if you're out here and you're like, what in the world is Compass Bible Institute? It is a school that we started back in uh, California that is aimed at providing theological education and uh, marrying that education with practical hands-on ministry in the church. And so uh, you can take those classes online as they're taught by various instructors. There's classes like apologetics and worldview and um, counseling classes, theology classes, biblical interpretation classes. And then you can kind of do ministry at the same time here with us at Compass Bible Church in North Texas. So uh, we would love for you to consider taking some classes. You can find out more at compassbibleinstitute.org. That's compassbibleinstitute.org. And uh, take a look at the offerings there and what it looks like. And one of the great things is um, these classes are offered at a, a great price. I mean, these are college-level classes, and it's $100 a unit, which when you think about that is is a great deal. I, I don't know anywhere else you can find that. There's transferability on these classes to a lot of different schools, including uh, Boyce and uh, Masters uh, University. Um, Biola, I believe, takes some of the, the credits. Moody takes some of the credits. Uh, and some can be transferred even at the graduate level as well with some seminaries in the area. So it's really a good thing to look into if that's of interest to you. If you've got a uh, son or daughter who is a junior or senior in high school, you may consider having them take some classes as well that would transfer um, to any of those schools if they're planning on pursuing a Christian education for their, their uh, secondary education. So uh, yeah, just uh, something to, to think about, to noodle on a little bit. And uh, you'll hear more about that I'm sure in the coming weeks, but feel free to reach out to us at podcast at compassntx.org if you've got more questions about Compass Bible Institute. Sounds good. Well, I didn't expect to do an ad, but you mentioned a school and turkey vultures, and that led me to think about CBI. Does CBI have a a mascot yet? They don't. CBI turkey vultures. Done. There you go. Everybody can email Pastor Mark Kelly. That's Pastor Mark, or just Mark, at (laughs) compasschurch.org and say, we should be the CBI turkey vultures and he will be thoroughly confused by that and convinced yes yeah well let's get and convinced to what you're all here for which is not to hear us talk about improv or schools or bobcats or cats or turkey vultures but to hear us talk about the bible let's do it so psalm 109 110 111 and then we finish up romans today romans 16 i i have so many people to thank for this i just i want to thank my mom (laughs) i want to thank god I want to thank Kristen for this. This is amazing. Prisca I can't made and Aquila it. too. No, I don't want to thank them. No? Okay. Well, Paul did, so that's that's good. You don't have to. All right. Hey, Psalm 109. Uh, this is a lament psalm, a psalm of David, and uh, it's an imprecatory psalm, it's, which is, again, a, a psalm of judgment. Um, and it's, uh, again... This just, is a salty one. It, it's a salty one. He's not... <laughs> David's not happy with his enemies here. And it's a lot of the similar themes that we've seen again and again in the book of Psalms. Uh, But a couple things that stood out here in verse four, uh, notice he says, in return for my love, they accuse me. So here's someone that that has been close to David who has betrayed him. So we can make our assumptions, although we don't know who this is and in what season this is in his life. But there were certainly people that were close to David that turned their back on David and betrayed Mm -hmm. him. And here we have a situation like that. He says, in return for my love, they accuse me, but... The contrast there, David says, I give myself to prayer. And that's such a, a good example for us and, and a good model for us. I was talking with somebody today at, uh, at breakfast who was talking about a, a counseling a, a, an unbeliever at their work who came in and, and was just frustrated and saying, man, I, I just want to take things into my own hands. I want to take vengeance because this person did this to me and I want to do this back to them. And he was counseling them and saying, you know, this is a professing believer, though there, there's question there. 
he said, man, I, I just want to counsel you and, and encourage you. Vengeance is something that's in God's hands, not in our hands. So here you have David, rather than turning and going, I want revenge, he's going to the Lord saying, I'm going to go to the Lord in prayer instead, which is a good thing for us to do when we feel betrayed or when we feel like we've been attacked, especially uh, wrongly. Uh, verse eight, you read, and, and maybe that sounds familiar if you hearken back to the book of Acts, uh, Acts chapter one, verse 20, uh, picks up on this verse where it says, may his days be few and may another take his office. And there, uh, the Luke records that it is applied to Judas. Um, because of Judas' betrayal, the, the early church was left to try to replace Judas, and they ended up doing so with a man named Matthias. And uh, here it, it was uh, the, this prophecy in, in Psalm 109 is applied to Judas, that Judas would be the one who would be the ultimate fulfillment of this uh, imprecatory uh, judgment that he calls on here, that David does. Um, down in verse 21, again, just the focus on deliverance for God's sake, as we've hit on that theme quite often re- recently. But you, O Lord, my God, deal on my behalf for your name's sake, because your steadfast love is good. Deliver me. So Psalm 109, David is calling judgment down and turning to the Lord for deliverance as he has multiple times previously. How many times have you prayed this psalm over people, Pastor PJ? I have never prayed Psalm 109 over anyone. Yeah, I haven't either. Yeah. But I do appreciate, again, the brutal honesty of what we see in David's life. And, and I do wonder if there are times when I, I will look to this psalm to, to, to pray. Mm. I haven't. And, and uh, yeah, I haven't used it. But I, I would suspect that in the life of some Christians who are persecuted, those who are suffering on the on the the business end of someone's wrath and anger and vitriol, friend or foe, I don't know. But this psalm is probably very appropriate for some people to pray. Probably not most of us, maybe not your family, maybe not mine, maybe not any of us anytime soon. And thank God for that. But the point should be well taken. In verse four, David gives us really the the primary remedy that is the remedy for a multitude of ills. Give yourself to prayer. And there's a little subscript there that says, in Hebrew, it says, but I am prayer. So David is so immersed, so so given to prayer. It's like, man, I've become prayer. My whole life is one long exercise of prayer because that's my only option. For you, uh, for all of us listening, maybe that's your option right now. You, you should pray. How uh, many times... <laughs> How many times have we said that on this podcast? And it's like, oh, wow, I never thought of that. You're not going to hear anything incredibly novel from Pastor PJ and myself. We're not going to give you some brand new truth you haven't heard before. But that's the thing. Often we need these reminders. Mm -hmm. Like David, hey, pray about it. Give yourself to the Lord in prayer about it. Not just some kind of passive, uh, dear God, please do this. But really, let it be said that you're so so adamant, you're so invigorated by a prayer that it could be said, man, I am prayer because I'm just giving myself to it. Yeah. Yeah, well, Psalm 110. Psalm 110 is a meaty one, although it's only seven verses. It's uh, one of the most quoted psalms in the New Testament. And uh, the reason being is this is a psalm of David. It's a messianic psalm. It's a messianic enthronement psalm. And you have an interesting combination of two roles here that point to why this is ultimately fulfilled by the Messiah. But the right off the bat, uh, David says, the Lord said to my Lord. Now look at your Bibles closely. Because you'll find the first Lord is capital L and then the small, all caps, O-R-D. And then you'll look at the second Lord and you'll see it's capital L, but then lowercase O-R-D. Okay, I'm confused. I just, I, just, I just increased the font size. I see what you're saying. Why is this necessary? <laughs> I quit. Um, <laughs> no, the, the first one, and, and most of you know this, maybe not all of you do, that when it's translated that way and it's capital L, small caps O-R-D, that's translating the divine name, Yahweh is the the name that's 
represented by that translation of Lord. The second one, where it's capital L, lowercase O-R-D, is typically translating the Hebrew word Adonai. Adonai is a word that also can mean Lord or Master or Sovereign, uh, but it's not the same as the divine name Yahweh. The divine name Yahweh, if you remember, is the name that God spoke to Moses when he said, when Moses said, who shall I say is sending me? The Lord said to Moses, say, I am is sending you. It's it's Yahweh. It's the to be verb. It's it's God declaring his name is that he exists. It's a personal name though. Right. That's right. Good. So, so like your name is Peter, God's name is Yahweh. Right. Right. And so in the, the New Testament, the, or in the Old Testament, rather, the, it translates it with those all caps. And that's going back to a practice that was held in, in uh, Judaism and still held today in Judaism, where they would not pronounce the divine name. There was a reverence about the divine name that they didn't want to mispronounce it or pronounce it in an unworthy manner. And so they, so would, they, didn't. they would not pronounce it. They would always say Adonai when they came to Yahweh in mm-hmm. the Hebrews. We've talked about that before, and that's oh, yeah. where we get the word Jehovah from. But here you have Yahweh said to Adonai but it's my Adonai. And so in uh, Matthew chapter 22, verse 44, Mark 12, 36, and Luke chapter 20, verses 42 through 43, Jesus uh, uses this uh, statement, this verse to call to, to question the perspective of the Jewish people on who the Messiah would be. And he's trying to get them to see that, that even David had an understanding that the Messiah would not just simply be a mere man or a mere mortal because he's pointing to the fact that how can David who is the greatest of all Israelite kings, claim that that this one, the Messiah, who's in view in Psalm 110, is his Lord. David's acknowledging that this one is greater than he himself. And so God is speaking to David's Lord. Well, who would David's Lord be? And yet it's not Yahweh. It's someone, it's another person. It's someone, a third party here. You've got Yahweh and then you've got David's Lord. Again, who would fit that role? And then you've got King David. And so Jesus used this verse to point to the fact that he was the the fulfillment that that he's not just a, a mere man, but that he is really ultimately this is a, an allusion to him being God um, himself, and so that is the the thrust and the the significance there of Psalm one ten verse one. And what's it remember? It's David's descendants who fulfilled this role. So this is what made it so unusual for those who the the first audience of this text would have been probably a bit confused. Like this person that's coming from David's line, who would be the Messiah, he was the promised one out of the line of Judah, is, is going to be more than a man. He's going to be someone who's my Lord. How does that work? Now, we could see it from retrospect, and retrospect is twenty twenty, so we can understand, okay, this was clearly pointing to Jesus, but imagine being one of those people that read this psalm or heard the psalm for the first time and scratch your head and say, what? Right. How does that work? Right, right. And then there's the the part underneath, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool. And this is where Jesus is right now. If you've ever wondered, okay, so what is Jesus doing right now? We get a couple of glimpses in the, the scriptures. And so there's a, a couple of things at work here. Number one, he's sitting at the right hand of God. This is a place of honor. This is a place of authority. This is a position that is, is reserved for one uh, of high esteem. And Jesus has that position at the right hand of the Father. And he's there until he makes, the father makes the enemies of Christ his footstool. Can you elaborate on that? So Jesus is physically in heaven right now at the literal right hand. I mean, literal and metaphorical, but explain that. He's physically there because he ascended in his bodily form. Right. So explain the right hand analogy or metaphor in, in context of him being a physical being right now. Right. So Jesus is a physical being, as Pastor Rod was just saying. The Father is not. John 4 makes that clear. Jesus himself says, God is spirit, and right. those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. So there is no literal right hand of God where there's... Because the, God uh, doesn't have a hand. Right, because God doesn't have a hand. So it's, an, so it's a, 
uh, anthropomorphism. Anthropomorphism, right? I was trying to think if there's a theopomorphism where it's it's oh. it's God is is yeah. represented, but yeah, it's an anthropomorphism where God is given a human description so that we can better understand. Right. And so this is talking about the exalted status of Jesus, and he's waiting for the Father to say, "Okay, now's the time. Go back." Um, but the writer of Hebrews says that he's also doing something else as he's waiting for his enemies to be made a footstool. And that That's is right. making intercession for us. Love that. That's the writer. The writer of Hebrews says he always lives to make intercession for us. And the reason he can make intercession for us to connect us back to Psalm 110 is because he is in that priestly role as well. So he's not just the king, which is what the opening verses of Psalm 110 are talking about, but he's also a priest. And he's interceding. He's bringing the offering, and the offering being his sacrifice, which is a perpetual one, not that it's ongoing, not that he is always being crucified, as the, some denominations, the Catholic Church, mostly teach, but that that is a, a it's an ever-present, this is, the sacrifice is covering our sins, and it's the past, present, and future sins. So he is pleading that. He's interceding on our behalf, and he can do that because of what verse 4 says, the Lord has sworn and will never change his mind, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Who's that? Melchizedek was, we first encounter him in the Old Testament in the book of, of Exodus with, uh, Exodus, not Exodus, Genesis, sorry, mm-hmm. with Abraham. And Abraham uh, pays pays a, a tribute to, to Melchizedek, pays a tithe to Melchizedek. And Melchizedek um, is a significant one because his name means king of righteousness. So he's a king. He's the king oh, of Salem, God. read Jerusalem, but he's also a priest. And so he's a king priest. Now, Old Testament Israelite kings were prohibited from fulfilling both roles. They were only to be the king and not the priest as well. Jesus is not a an Old Testament king in that sense. He is the king after the order of Melchizedek here, who is both priest and king. And that is what Jesus is for us, both priest and king. He's also son of David too. So that's, that's also what qualifies him to be a king because of his lineage. Right. So he's a, he's one of the descendants of David fulfilling the Messianic prophecies. Right. Right. Yes. So Psalm 110 has a lot contained in it, even though it's just seven short verses, so much that is applied to Jesus in a Messianic uh, expectation. Psalm 111 then is a, a praise psalm, uh, just uh, continually giving thanks to the Lord, uh, praising him for his works, greater the works of the Lord. Again, a, a common theme that we've picked up on a lot in the book of Psalms, but notice verse 10 uh, stood out to me as I was reading through this again. The, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That should sound familiar to you. If it doesn't, uh, just wait until the next book that we get to in the Old Testament, which is the book Proverbs, of Proverbs. Man, so many good ones in there. Um, yeah. And so fearing the Lord is the beginning of wisdom uh, and all those who practice the fear of the Lord have good understanding. And so that's a, just a, a helpful uh, foreshadowing. What does it look like to practice the fear of the Lord? Well, it looks to live wisely before him. And we're going to talk a lot about that in the next book that we study together, which is the book of Proverbs. I love the, the heartbeat of Psalm 111 and verse two stood out to me as being particularly salient. Uh, great are the works of the Lord. So the, really the works of the Lord are highlighted all throughout this, this psalm. You probably saw the repetition there, the works of the Lord. Um, but verse two is special to me because it says that it's studied. Those works that God performs are studied. They're thought about. They're meditated upon. They're they're rolled over in the mind and the heart of the one who, get this, delights in them. I love that because the Bible uh, is a doorway, an entranceway into the, the, the person and work of God himself. We delight in the word of God because we delight in the God of the word. If you want to know God better, man, read your Bible and read your Bible as an act of relational connection. If you see it merely as something to, to, 
to click a box and say, I did this. Pastor PJ told me to, I guess I'll do it. Uh, (laughs) Then it's going to be very laborious and difficult. But if you read the Bible with eyes wide open, looking for God and asking yourself, what does this tell me about God? How do I get to know the God of the Bible better through this? This will be something that ignites your soul on fire. Definitely Pray verse two, make that something that is implemented into your mind and your heart as you open up the word of God. Yeah. And maybe you're, you're thinking to yourself, okay, well, how do I do that? Isn't that your job? You guys are pastors. You, you're Uh-oh. the ones that are supposed to, to study. Um, there's a, a, a one-on-one discipleship program that you're going to hear about more from us in a, in a few weeks here. This is just an advertising podcast. It is. Here we go. As we launch it officially, but it's called Partners, and uh, it's All called right. that because you have a, a, partner, a partner who takes you through it. Interesting. In the one-on-one That's format. That's very providential naming. Yeah. And uh, it, basically, this discipleship program uh, walks through a lot of the fundamentals of the faith and a lot of key doctrinal points that make us who we are as a, a church. Um, again, like Pastor Rod said earlier, nothing necessarily profound or something that you've never heard before, but just good principles to lay a foundation to make sure that we're all on the same page. Well, in there, in uh, the third chapter, it talks about studying our Bibles. And one of the, the methods it suggests is something that we call the TAN method. Get tanned. Get tanned, right? Yeah, which the TAN method, what that means is you're, it's an acronym because everything encompasses an acronym. <laughs> it means that we're looking at what did it mean then? Okay, so then that's the historical context. What did it mean to the original audience? So that's where you're doing some commentary work. You're looking at maybe an introduction to the book that helps you understand why it was written, when it was written. Then the, the second part is what does it mean always? What's the theological truth about God that's true no matter the, the historical context of this? What is this passage saying about God that is transcendently true? And then you get to the now. Okay, so then what do I do with that today? Mm-hmm. And so that's something that if you're sitting there going, where do I begin? How do I start to study the word of God? Then always now, that's a great place to start to try to, to take the, the daily Bible reading, take one verse maybe out of the daily Bible reading that stood out to you and and ask those questions and and begin to start to, to plumb the depths of some of the, the riches of the scriptures. I think we're probably going to end up talking a lot more about that as we venture into Psalm 119 in a couple I days. I imagine we will. Psalm 119 is, I mean, I think it's one of a favorite Psalms of most Christians, most people who, who knew and loved God because of that very thing. It's like, yep. man, open up your law. Let me see it. I want it. I want to know you. Yep. Can't wait. Yeah. Well, let's get to Romans 16. Let's do that. Romans 16. Okay, I'm there. All right. What do you need? Romans 16.1. How about you talk to Romans 16.1 because it mentions a, a particular name here. So our fifth, and I, I think, and I'm praying our <laughs> final child <laughs> was a girl, is still a girl actually, not past tense. She is present Good tense. clarification. <laughs> she is still a girl and her name is Phoebe. And we, we kind of do this thing in our family where we name our girls after either words or names in the New Testament. So our girl is Phoebe. And we we liked Phoebe because of what her name meant and also the role that she had in Romans 16. Now, actually, some of the some of what surrounds Phoebe's uh, legend status is whether or not she was more than just a carrier of the letter of the of the book of Romans as we know it today. So that's one thing you should know. Phoebe was a servant of the church at however you want to say that. Sencre? Century. Centuria Cray. <laughs> Yeah, we could we could try pronouncing it according to what you see here, but you get the idea. She was she was so. Here's a couple things. One, she was likely the carrier of the Book of Romans. That's that's largely uncontested territory. Most people will give that to her. She's definitely doing that. Number two, you'll notice that there's the word servant there. Servant is diakonos. It can be used both formally as someone who serves as a deacon in a church, or it could be someone who's merely a serving one, someone who's doing the serving. So most people will largely say, okay, she's probably serving in a formal function. 
She is a servant, to be sure, but she probably serves as a deaconess, as some of your Bible translations might suggest. Uh, I would lean with that one. I think she's a formal servant of the church, and and the very fact that Paul calls her a servant of the church at a specific church location tells me that she probably had a an actual role in the church itself. So I like Phoebe a lot. I'm a I'm a very much a complementarian, a hard one at that. I know that there's such a thing as a soft one today. I'm a hard complementarian. I think God created different roles for different people according mm-hmm. to your gender, which is fixed and not fluctuating. So Phoebe, though, a very important figure. How much, how important, what role she played? We don't really know. There's a lot of question marks, but at the very least, we can tell she's a great servant that Paul commends. And not only this, look at the bottom of verse two. She has been a patron of many, which also means that she was probably very wealthy. Mm-hmm. She was a, the, the patron system. Patron system was kind of a big deal back in the first century church. And Paul refrained himself from even getting involved in that because of its implications. But that said, he wasn't afraid to utilize it as a situation afforded. Phoebe was one of those patrons of himself and seems meant like many others. So very cool situation to see Phoebe there. Yep. Yeah. And uh, deaconess, yes. Elderess, no. Oh, yes. Nope. He doesn't say that. That's right. a different word. Right. Yeah. Yeah. There can be deaconesses. In other words, there can be female deacons in a church office. But like Pastor Rod said, complementarianism, which is a position that we fully embrace, would say that the office of elder or pastor is reserved for men. That's right. And men only in that. That's right. Well, he goes on in verses three and following to give a list of all kinds of di- different names. And he begins to just talk this. about greeting Mary and greeting Prisca, Prisca and Aquila. Why is her name different there? Uh, somebody pointed that out in one of the commentaries that, that Paul liked. I think they said more of the formalized names mm. than uh, than some of the, the companions did. For instance, he uh, instead of Silas, he calls him Sylvanus. Right. And uh, it, whereas Luke took more of the familiar name. And mm. so it's possible. He that, would use the nicknames. Right. Paul was more of a like, hey, keep keep it highbrow, buddy. Right. So it's possible that, that Prisca was her more formal name. Although it sounds like Priscilla would be the more formal name. Then. One would think. Prisca feels like, because it's shorter, it right. feels more like the nickname. Right. Oh, weird. But they're there. And here's something interesting is a lot of people read this and they think that this means or that this would imply that this was kind of a an add-on at a latter, latter date because they think that this had was really addressed to the church at Ephesus and not to the church at Rome. Interesting. Because Prisca and Aquila were at Ephesus. And then if you go down there, Eponidas was the first convert to Christ in Asia. Well, Paul got going really in Ephesus. And so they think, well, that would make sense for it to be in Ephesus. And there's some other reasons as it goes down there, and too, including the final instructions and greetings section in verses 17 through 20. They think that this kind of is a departure from the tone in the rest of Romans, where he's more exhortative here rather than instructional, and uh, assumes more of a familiarity, it seems, there. And again, they would say, well, that seems like that would be Ephesus as well. I guess that the long story short, Rome was was a key area in this region, and so there's there's good reason to believe a lot of these believers, including Prisca and Aquila and Eponidas, would have made their way to Rome eventually, and so mm. it's very reasonable that they would already be there. And then, as far as the the greetings and instructions section, Paul would often warn his churches of the false teachers because false teachers would often follow Paul, mm. no matter who he went where he went, and contradict what he taught. So Paul is expressing. Just a number one, a, a, an intimacy with these people, and he loves them, and he knows them, and those that are there. At least he doesn't know everybody there because he hasn't been there formally. But these that he knows, he wants to call them out specifically and say, "Hey, I, I know you. I, I remember you. Greet these people for me uh, on my behalf," which is just a cool glimpse into the heart of Paul. Yeah, I love that. And, and a quick note on verse five here, Eponidas. 
uh, first convert to Christ in Asia. Remember, we're, we're reading a first century document here, so we're not talking about China. Right. Uh, we're, we're talking about Asia Minor. Right. Uh, but another cool thing, too, verse 16, we haven't talked about this yet. Uh, as Paul is greeting everybody um, and saying his hellos and goodbyes, ah. he talks about greeting one another with a holy kiss. Pastor PJ, why don't we kiss each other at church? Because it's a good way to get punched. <laughs> well, well, yeah, yes. But hey, if the word of God puts you in that line of, of being punched, why don't we do that? Because this is an example of something that was cultural, right? Mm. And it's still cultural. Like we went to Israel and our tour guides were, uh, they were kissy people. Oh. And, and so it's it's a situation when it fits the cultural norm, then then you go, okay, this makes sense. This is their way of greeting people. Uh, for us, we do the, the the fist bump or the bro hug or- The holy hug. Right. Or the side hug, you know, between maybe a, a, a male and female. So- it's it's a, a cultural norm of just here's how you express like that physical connection in greeting someone that it's not just like a, a nod and away from a distance but there's some kind of a level of intimacy there though it's a a very uh, platonic intimacy that's expressed there and that's what it was i i kind of feel like and so i i get the idea here greet one another with a holy kiss there's a there's a shared connection love intimacy with one another that's appropriate for the context of the church how do we do that today you, you said okay we do the handshake or the high five or uh, or whatever, you know, the, the, the A-frame hug. I think Paul's point here, it sounds like, it sounds like the goal is to just, hey, express uh, tender care and affection for one another. It's right. a holy kiss. It should not be, um, it should not be inappropriate, obviously right. not romantic. And that's true, not only with the kiss, but a hug and anything else that comes along with that. I think that's something the church needs to get done really well. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of, I mean, there's a lot of accusations right now about church cover-ups and sexual immorality and adultery and things like that, abuse situations. And I get that. That's always a hazard whenever people are involved in anything. But I think the church should attempt to do this and to do this well, to communicate a kindness and affection physically that is not inappropriate or weird or strange. Yes. Yeah. And we need to get more. Yeah, you're right. I think more comfortable with that and put that into practice more for sure. In a godly way. And that's yeah. really hard to do because so many of the, the cultural landmines are, are hard to discern. They it's are. like, are we, are we handshake people? Are we hug people? Are we, do we bow? Maybe, maybe we start bowing. That seems like a safe one. The worst is when you go in for a hug and they go in for a handshake and you just get a punch in the stomach. <laughs> or, or I, 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 I feel like sometimes it's hard to know, like with the opposite sex. Okay. What's, what's the right call for us right now? Right. Are we friendly enough and familial enough that we could do the, the A-frame hug? I mean, right. what does it look like? I don't know, man. I, I always, I, I struggle in the situations to know, okay, wh- where are we at? Yeah. It's tough. Yeah. People should, there should be like a green light. You know what there was during COVID? People wore like a, what are you, lanyards with green, Stop. yellow, and we're red. Done. We're not, we're done with that. <laughs> All right. Hey, speaking of done, the Romans 16 ends with the doxology and, uh, it's a, it's praise to Christ and it's a callback to the opening of the book because you'll remember in the opening of the book, maybe you will, he talked about bringing about the obedience of faith and here he brings that phrase back again. That's right. And it's he says, this is what we're doing according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith to the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. So that's why Paul wrote Romans. Right that's there. right. All right. Hey, we'll catch you tomorrow for another episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. Hasta mañana. Hey, thanks for joining us for another episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. We hope and pray this has been a blessing to you and your time in the Word. If it has, if you would subscribe to this podcast, leave a like, leave a comment, and share it with some friends and family, that would be awesome. If you need more information about Compass Bible Church here in North Texas, you can go to compassntx.org. Again, that's compassntx.org. And we'll be back with you tomorrow for another episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. Thank you.